Hello and welcome to the Addicted Austinite, your one-stop podcast for all things Jane Austen. I'm Catherine and today I am going to be starting a look at the historical events that were going on during Jane's lifetime. We've finished our look at her books in a bit more depth, so now we're going to focus more on the context of her stories. So I'm going to be going through a lot of important historical events that Jane would have been aware of, because as we know, Jane doesn't write a lot about what's going on in Britain during her novels. She is relying on her readers to know the context, so that's what I'm hoping to do with this next run of episodes. And we are going to be starting with an event the year that Jane was born, and that is the American War of Independence. Now you'll notice that I called it the War of Independence and not the American Revolution. I'm sure that you've heard both of those terms to describe the events that go on when uh, America frees itself from British rule. And for a lot of people, those titles are interchangeable. It's just two different ways to describe the same event. And that's not strictly true. The American Revolution and the War for Independence are actually two separate things. And it's the War of Independence that starts in 1775, April thereof, which is the year that Jane is born. The American Revolution is the bit before that that starts in the early 1770s, where the Americans decide that they are going to go for independence. So the American Revolution is the non-fighting bit of declaring independence. And then when the fighting starts, we then move into the war for independence. Because a revolution doesn't necessarily have to include any bloodshed. There have been a lot of bloodless coups throughout history. So, American Revolution and War of Independence, not the same thing. That being said, I am going to talk about the American Revolution so that we have the context for the War of Independence, which starts, as I said, the year Jane is born. So naturally, there are a lot of different things that feed into the start of the American Revolution. Events, sentiments, and all sorts of things that just start to build up and build up until the colonists say, that's it, we've had enough, we are declaring independence from British rule. However, historians like to point to one event in particular as starting the ball rolling, really sort of kicking off this independent further. And that is the Seven Years' War. Now, Seven Years' War is a bit of a tricky one. Depending on who you talk to, it could have lasted a lot or a little bit longer than seven years on either side. But we're not going to go into that today because that happened way before Jane was born. If we're going by seven years in the title, it sort of ran from 1756 to 1763. Again, People are going to argue about that, but for the sake of basics, that's the time that we're going with. And it was one of the first sort of global wars. And during the fighting, it was Britain against the French, and some of this fighting took place on the American continent, because both Britain and France had colonies 
in America. And as wars are wont to do, it cost a lot of money on both sides. There's not really any winner of the Seven Years' War when you look at it exactly, but Britain definitely felt like they had some sort of victory. And specifically, they felt like they had a victory for the American because Britain were fighting for their colonists' right to expand their territory. And because of that feeling, and because Britain was so much in debt because of this war, they decided that it's only fair that the American colonists help pay for the war. I'm not going to comment either way on how I feel about that thinking, but that's how the British felt. And to get the Americans to pay for the war, they decide to increase some taxes. Now, it's not necessarily the taxes that were the problem. You'll hear a lot of generalisation saying that the American war was about taxes. No, it wasn't. It was about the Americans' right to representation in the Houses of Parliament that decided to levy these taxes. Let me explain what I mean by that. The American colonists had no representatives in the British Houses of Parliament, not in the House of Commons, nor in the House of Lords. And they felt that it was unfair of Britain, who were so many miles away and weren't in the colonies to decide what was going to happen in those colonies without somebody from those colonies to represent them and tell them what's really going on. So it's not about taxes specifically, it just happens to be that taxes were the legislation that were coming into force when the Americans decided that they wanted more representation in British government. In fact, a lot of these taxes that are put in place, uh, for example, the Stamp Act in 1765 and tea taxes as well, they've actually repealed pretty quickly. So Britain is actually listening to the colonists and saying, okay, taxes didn't work, let's repeal them. However, this lack of representation was really starting to grind on American citizens. And once that spark was lit, it was not going out. And it didn't matter what the British did, the Americans were not going to accept the situation anymore. And they decide that they are going to aim for independence from British rule. And tensions start to get high. In 1770, there is an event called the Boston Massacre. This happens between British soldiers and American colonists who are trying to boycott British goods and oppose the taxes and the new acts that have come into place. And it ends with five American colonists being killed, being shot by officers. I don't know if that constitutes a massacre really, but of course it was a really sad event for Americans and it just fueled this anti-British sentiment. Three years later, again in Boston, we have an event which I think everybody's heard of and that is the Boston Tea Party, where colonists dump hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of tea into Boston Harbour. For a little bit of context, tea back then wasn't in loose leaf form, as you might expect when it's being delivered. It's not sacks and sacks and sacks of loose leaf tea. It's actually blocks 
of tea, like gold bricks, essentially, <laughs> which contain all of that tea. So that's what they're chucking into the harbour. <laughs> it's these big blocks of tea. And they're doing this to get back at the British for imposing taxes on tea without representation for American colonists. Because of the Tea Party in 73, in 74, Britain retaliates and imposes what would come to be known as the Intolerable Acts among the American colonists. In Britain, they were sort of known as the Coercive Acts, and these acts were aimed at punishing Massachusetts, where Boston is, for the Tea Party, but general insurrection as well. One of the main outcomes of these acts was that the right to self-govern was taken away from Massachusetts. The way that the colonies worked was that they were overseen by the British, who were in control, but each state had the right to sort of govern themselves and make sure that laws were enforced and that sort of thing. But after the Tea Party, Britain says, no, we can't trust you to self-govern yourself, Massachusetts, so we're taking that right away from you. As you can imagine, that severely annoyed Massachusetts, but it also annoyed the rest of the colonies as well. I think there's that fear that, oh God, they might take it away from us as well, but also the indignation that how can they do that? That's just not fair. We have a right to rule ourselves. We're the ones that live here. We know how it works. They know nothing. And this indignation leads to the first Continental Congress, and this is in 1774 as well. In this Congress, 12 of the 13 colonies gather to discuss how they're going to respond to the coercive slash intolerable acts and to what's happened in Massachusetts. They decide that they're going to send a letter to the king, um, who is George III at this point. So they send this letter to King George saying, please repeal these acts, this is ridiculous, what are you doing? He says no. So a second Continental Congress is called in May of 1774, where they discuss again what they want to do, and that's really when America decides that they are going to be independent from Britain. And if they have to, they are going to fight for their right to be an independent nation. This is where we come to the year that Jane is born, in 1775. The War for American Independence kicks off. Now, I'm not a military historian. I'm much more of a social cultural historian. So I'm not great at giving details about battles and things like that. I can tell you some of the dates, what they were called, what the outcomes were. But other than that, this isn't going to be an in-depth look at the actual battles of the American <laughs> War of Independence. Um, but it starts in April of 1775 with the battles of Lexington and Concord. And this is where we have the infamous shot heard round the world. We don't know who actually shot it, whether it was an American soldier or a British one, but that shot started the war for independence. And what followed was a series of battles wherein a, as they would describe themselves, a plucky American colony army took on the might of the British army and navy. To look at it, from the outside, 
It seems a bit of a foregone conclusion that Britain would win. They had a much stronger army and a navy that was world-renowned. By this point, Britain is the most powerful navy in the world. So from the outside, it looks like a bit of a cakewalk. It should be over and done by Christmas, you know? However, as we all know, it didn't work out that way. The Americans put up a hell of a fight and the war drags on for 10 years. The formal end of the fighting comes in 1785. So, how did this quote-unquote ragtag bunch of colonists defeat one of the greatest empires in the world? So obviously there are a lot of reasons why Britain lost the War of Independence. I'm not going to list them all, otherwise this podcast would never end. Um, but while I've been reading about this subject, one of the main things that comes out is actually bad generaling on the British side. There were quite a few battles wherein Britain should have easily won, but they didn't. They didn't take the opportunities that were in front of them and allowed the Americans to win, basically. <laughs> when I say that Britain had bad generaling, what I don't want to do is imply that the opposite was true for the Americans, that they had good generaling, necessarily. Now, my dear American listeners, I know there are a few of you out there, I don't want to offend you. I'm just listing the facts as they've been presented to me. But I read a very interesting article about myths of the American Revolution. Now, one of the most famous generals of the War of Independence was George Washington, who I think everybody knows became the first president of America once they'd gained their independence. And there is this myth that he was just this superhero kind of general and that he outsmarted and out tactic to the British. And yes, it's true that he should be held up as a hero of the War of Independence. He was a great leader, but he wasn't necessarily a great general. Now this comes from John Furling at the Smithsonian Magazine. He wrote this article online, which is really good. I recommend you have a read through it. And he points out that Washington actually lacked a lot of military experience and had a limited and contracted knowledge in military matters, quote-unquote. It really is a case more of bad generaling from the British side than it was good generaling from the American side. Um, I'm not going to say that it was luck, necessarily, but the Americans were very lucky that the British generals weren't up to par at this point. And the British made a lot of mistakes, and that led to some resounding and brutal defeats, including Ticonderoga and Saratoga in 77. The Americans also gain a further advantage in 1778 when the French join on their side. A lot of French generals go over to, to aid the Americans, partly because they just hated the British, they really were at war with Britain during this era, but also, as we will come to see in a couple of episodes' time, they were also starting to go through their own revolution and change of ideals about how France should be governed, and they were really starting to believe in the Americans' cause. So they join in and help 
the American troops. And in 1781, there is a decisive defeat of the British in the Battle of Bunker Hill, which leads to the surrender at Yorktown, which is a massive moment, massive victory for the American colonists. I keep calling them the American colonists while I'm talking about this fighting, but actually by 1781, they were seeing themselves as America. In 1776, they wrote and signed the Declaration of Independence that set themselves up as an independent nation and they were collectively now America. They weren't American colonists from Britain, they were Americans, pure and simple. But whether I call them American colonists or Americans, they are really winning this war. After the surrender at Yorktown, the fighting does go on for a bit longer. I mentioned that the formal end to the fighting came in 85. The fighting had actually stopped a little bit before that. In 83, Britain finally recognised the independence of America from their empire. But there were still a few skirmishes going on. And finally, in 1785, when Jane is 10 years old, the Treaty of Paris is signed and America becomes a country in their own right in the eyes of all the world. So that is a brief-ish summary of the American Revolution and the war for independence. Because remember, we're keeping those two things separate. And you might wonder what this has to do with Jane Austen. It was hundreds of thousands of miles away, but the independence of America and the loss to the British Empire is felt by everyday Britons. It is a big blow to the British Empire and to British national feeling, really. This is one of the first big defeats that the British Empire has ever faced. It causes a change in the way people feel about the Empire and about themselves as part of the British Empire. Of course, with America becoming an independent country, it sets America up as a potential rival to British power and just another theatre for Britain to go and fight in, which does happen quite a few times, but specifically for the history of Jane Austen and her life, uh, it leads to the Battle of 1812, which, if you remember all the way back to the episode about Jane's family, two of her brothers, Francis and Charles, were both in the Navy and they both fought during the War of 1812 with America. So Jane Austen does personally feel the repercussions of the American Revolution, which is why I am including it in the list of big events that happened during her lifetime. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Addicted Austen. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have, please do like share it and all that kind of stuff and please please do comment on it as well i would love to hear your opinions of this episode and of the podcast in general you can comment on your platforms or you can find me on twitter and on facebook as well i will see you next time for a new episode and until then happy reading your faithful servant the